I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. This is Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. It's open enrollment for Medicare, for people who are eligible for the federal health insurance program, primarily those who are 65 and older. Picking a plan and making sure it's affordable can be a challenge, especially paying for medication when you're on a fixed income. So today, we're going to take some time to talk with a volunteer who spent the last six years guiding people through the process. But first, when the COVID-19 pandemic began, the federal government told states to stop determining eligibility for Medicaid, the program which provides medical and other health-related services to low-income people. It was one of several steps taken to help Americans at a time when they were struggling with the uncertainty of health concerns, job losses, and other challenges brought on by the pandemic. But when the COVID-19 emergency officially ended this spring, states went back to removing people they deemed ineligible from Medicaid roles. Since May, hundreds of thousands of Floridians have been disenrolled from Medicaid, but many of them have been dropped for procedural reasons, meaning they are still technically eligible for Medicaid, but may have, for example, missed a piece of mail or not have the right contact information. Advocates worry that some of the most vulnerable Floridians, including young people under the age of 20, may be losing access to needed health care. Well, joining us is WUSF Stephanie Colombini. She's been covering Medicaid beneficiaries being dropped from the health care program. Stephanie, thanks for being here. Thanks. Also joined by Fran O'Byrne, volunteer for SHINE, which stands for Serving Health Insurance Needs of Elders. It's a program offered by the Florida Department of Elder Affairs, which provides health insurance information for Medicare beneficiaries. Fran, thank you so much. Thank you. Stephanie, let's start with Medicaid. So talk us through what Medicaid unwinding is and how it ties back to the COVID-19 pandemic, because this has been unfolding or unwinding, I suppose, since the start of the year, right? Since this spring in April, when the federal public health emergency for the coronavirus pandemic expired. And so what had happened a few years ago when the pandemic really kicked off is the federal government told states, you cannot kick anybody off Medicaid, even if their income eligibility changes. They just understood how unstable a time it already was with COVID and job losses and health scares. So they said, let's keep things as they are. And they gave states additional money to make up for that. And so Florida saw its Medicaid enrollment balloon. There were 3.8 million beneficiaries in January of 2020. By this April, there were 5.8 million people enrolled in Medicaid. And so the state had to start for the first time in three years redetermining who was actually eligible for Medicaid now. And so we've seen this process unfold the last six, seven, eight months, and over 600,000 people have lost coverage so far as the state is determining who is and isn't eligible. Mm -hmm. The problem is, are all of those people, those 600,000, actually ineligible? And that's where some concerns arise. And because this whole process has been quite complicated, and a bit of a mess, quite frankly. I mean, the federal government 
was saying, well, we'll give you some assistance to make it a little more smoother process for states as they deal with that resumption of Medicaid eligibility reviews. But Florida turned down the help. What, what do we know about that? Yeah, Florida is the only state, if not one of the only states, that has not accepted any waivers. The federal government has been offering states to make this a smoother process. And it's an issue nationwide. You know, Florida is not the only state where we're seeing concerns arise. But the federal government did things like just have some policy waivers in place where normally like hurdles to redetermining eligibility exist. They said, we'll offer these waivers. And yeah, Florida hasn't taken up any of them. The state is arguing that they already do some of the things that these waivers allow for. For example, one would let states use food stamp eligibility data, SNAP eligibility data to kind of cross-reference and maybe automatically renew some people. If you're eligible for food stamps, you're probably eligible for Medicaid. Florida already does that in its process. But then there are some other things advocates would like the state to do, like there's one waiver that would allow states to rely more on the companies that manage the Medicaid plans Mm -hmm. to help residents renew their eligibility and renew their coverage. And the state hasn't done that yet. So that's one thing advocates are saying is a simple fix. One of the groups of people that you've focused on in some of your reporting, Stephanie, has been people aged 20 and younger. And more than 250,000 people in that bracket have been dropped from Medicaid in Florida since April. What do we know about why they're being disenrolled from Medicaid? We don't know specifically for each child, but, you know, one thing that really has advocates alarmed about that high number, you know, close to half of all people who've lost coverage being children, is that most kids who are on Medicaid probably should still be eligible. The income threshold is much lower for children than it is adults. And so there is some red flags there when you're seeing that many kids losing coverage. And one of the things people would look at is, okay, well, if they're losing Medicaid, the odds that they would be eligible for this other health insurance program for families who have low incomes called CHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Program in Florida, it's uh, Florida Kid Care, Mm -hmm. that should have then maybe gone up a lot. If you're seeing, you know, a quarter million kids losing Medicaid, most of them maybe would move over to CHIP. But actually, we're not seeing those numbers be that high. I think the state reported about 67,000 new enrollments into kid care in an update they had provided to a Senate Health Committee earlier this fall. So that's positive, but there's a gap there. Mm -hmm. And so advocates are going, what's going on with those kids? Are they all going on parents like employer-based insurance? That seems unlikely when you're talking about the demographic of people who would be eligible for Medicaid in the first place. The odds that your job is then offering like a quality health insurance plan that would cover your whole family can be slim. And so that's that gap that they're like, what's happening with these kids? Navigating the health insurance process is pretty complicated for anyone, let alone families trying to figure out Medicaid. So what kind of help is out there for those families and what are you seeing about the effectiveness of it? Is it helping them? I think, you know, with an 87% response rate the state is reporting, that must mean that a lot of the navigators, healthcare navigators in the state who are working hard to help families are doing a good job, that if somebody needs help, they're getting guidance eventually. These are great resources 
families can take advantage of, people who are trained, who know how complex Medicaid is and know how to get through the bureaucratic hurdles and understand these forms maybe in a way you wouldn't. You know, if there's a digital divide, if you're struggling with internet access at home or you're not tech savvy, they can sort of help overcome these hurdles. And the state has also launched a a dedicated phone line just for Medicaid redetermination. So there are resources out there. I mentioned CHIP as another insurance plan that some kids might be eligible for. And the state had increased the income eligibility threshold for CHIP recently, so maybe more kids can qualify. The federal marketplace also for Affordable Care Act, Obamacare plans, the federal government is allowing people who've lost Medicaid to enroll in marketplace plans outside of open enrollment. It can count as like a special qualifying event. So that could be an option for families and maybe taking advantage of some subsidies. So there are resources out there. But again, even navigating that Obamacare marketplace is complicated. Healthcare is complicated. So the concern is, will people know about these options? Will they know to to look for these alternatives? Or will they give up in frustration and, and be uninsured? One thing that strikes me about some of your reporting, too, is in a conversation that you had with Joan Olker, executive director of the Georgetown University Center for Children and Families, she pointed out the, the huge number of people calling in for help, like 2 million people uh, calling that number, that helpline in June. That's pretty massive. And I mean, I guess the question is, does the state have the resources to deal with that volume of requests for help? The state says that it has gotten wait times down a lot to several minutes from 30 minutes was the average, I think, at one point. One concern that is the subject of a federal civil rights complaint is that there's not enough being done for people who speak other languages, Spanish speakers, Haitian Creole. Those are two languages the state has touted that they're sharing materials in. But advocates for people of color and immigrants say that they're waiting a lot longer for their help on the phone than English speakers. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a huge area for improvement that needs to be addressed. So what impact is this having on people who lose their coverage, I mean, while they're waiting to see if they are, in fact, still eligible for Medicaid, or maybe they're trying to figure out CHIP or some of the other things? Like, what happens? Does their health care just not get taken care of in the meantime? What's going on? It could for some families, and that's what's so scary. We've heard some people are finding out, like, they take their kid to the doctor's office, and that's where they're learning, oh, you don't have Medicaid anymore. And we're hearing about some cases, they might be a small number, but it's still significant, of families where kids who have serious health conditions, we're talking cancer, cystic fibrosis, they're losing Medicaid. Those are people that you're not talking about going to the doctor's office once a year for a wellness check. They need their medical care. They need their medications. And so even if for two weeks, say, your coverage is disrupted and you're expected to pay for those pills out of pocket, that can be devastating for a low-income family. Now, you mentioned a federal civil rights lawsuit. The DeSantis administration is being sued over this issue. What can you tell us about that? So just to clarify, two separate things. There's a federal civil rights complaint, and Mm -hmm. that is about the equitability for making the process fair for immigrants and black and Latino residents. But then there's a, a separate lawsuit that families who have kids who lost coverage Lawyers filed on their behalf, and that was 
accusing the DeSantis administration of not adequately informing families that they were going to lose Medicaid coverage or giving them enough information about how to appeal. That lawsuit is ongoing. The federal judge set a hearing for December 5th on that. And there's kind of two things that the judge needs to weigh here that attorneys are asking for. One is that they want an injunction to be issued that would pause Medicaid redeterminations, that the state would put a hold on renewals until lawyers feel they've adequately informed people about the process. And the state would have to reinstate coverage for people who've lost it in these last several months since this process began. The attorneys are also seeking to make this a class action lawsuit. So then instead of just judging this based on these individual families cases, anybody who you know feels they were wronged in this situation could jump in and benefit. The state is fighting both of those things. They're saying they're doing a good job handling Medicaid redeterminations, that pausing this process and suddenly reinstating coverage for potentially millions of people would cause chaos for the program. So we'll see how this plays out. And yeah, looking forward to December when the next hearing is scheduled. You're listening to Florida Matters. We've been speaking with Stephanie Colombini, who covers healthcare for WUSF's Health News Florida. She's been reporting on the Medicaid unwinding and what it means for families who rely on that federal program for their health care. Coming up, we'll turn to Medicare. It's open enrollment season, as you may have gleaned from the barrage of TV ads for Medicare Advantage. We'll talk about what's changed and some of the challenges facing Medicare recipients in the greater Tampa Bay region as they navigate the dizzying array of plans and try to figure out drug costs and other expenses. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. Open enrollment for Medicare is underway. The federal health insurance program primarily covers people 65 and older, along with certain younger people with disabilities. But navigating Medicare, which includes Part A, Part B, Part D, and Medicare Advantage, can be confusing. That's where people like Fran Oburn come in. She's a volunteer for SHINE, which stands for Serving Health Insurance Needs of Elders. And that is a program offered by the Florida Department of Elder Affairs, which provides health insurance information for Medicare beneficiaries. Well, Fran, let me turn to you. Open enrollment is underway for Medicare. And since we're just talking about Medicaid, a different federal program, can you just help us break down the basics of Medicare? Sure. Medicare offers two options, whether you go with original Medicare, which covers inpatient hospital, everything that's outpatient hospital, separate plan for drugs, and an optional Medigap or supplement policy, or a Medicare Advantage or Part C, which is more like what people are used to from employer health cares, where it's an HMO or a PPO program. So already my head's kind of spinning, so I'm glad I'm not quite at the stage where I have to think about this myself. But, I mean, this is complicated stuff, right? Very complicated. And just to clarify, too, I mean, Medicare is a federal health insurance program. for It's mostly for people who are 65 and older. There are certain younger people with disabilities who also qualify yes. for Medicare. Yes. I'm wondering, in your capacity as a, a volunteer for Shine, do you get many inquiries from folks who aren't in that 65 and older bracket? Absolutely. Normally, if you go on disability at any time in your life, you have to wait 24 months that you would be on disability, and then you qualify for Medicare, no matter your age. And that's a plus for many people that, for some reason or another, are now disabled. 
So we've got Medicare Part A, we've got Medicare Part B and Medicare Part D. Just go through those one more time. What, what exactly are they? What do they cover? Okay. Part A is inpatient hospital. There is a deductible, which is quite hefty. That is free for most Americans as long as you have worked at least 10 years in the United States. Part B is what everybody pays for. And for next year, the price is going to 174.70. This year, it's 164.90. So that's the price that the average American is going to be spending for their health care. Is that per visit or? No, that's per month. Oh, okay. And then if you have original Medicare, you have to add a separate drug plan, which could be costing anywhere from zero to $150. I'd say the average is about 40 And then an optional coverage would be a supplement or a Medigap, which would enable you to not have to pay 20% towards your medical costs. Mm-hmm. Medicare covers 80% standard, and you're responsible for 20 Your Medigap will pay that 20%. So that price is going to add up pretty quickly for folks. Yes. And if you're on a fixed income, that's kind of a scary thing. Yes, especially if you are someone that is in a two-person household and you go that route with original Medicare, the average 65-year-old will pay about $400 a month. So there you're talking about $9,000 a year out of a fixed income. What about Medicare Advantage? This is something we're seeing constantly advertised on TV right now because we're in the open enrollment period. So talk us through that. Okay. If you're watching TV and they say, free, 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 it ain't free. (laughs) Nobody gives you money for nothing. If they're giving it to you with one hand, they're taking it in another place with the other hand. So in Hillsborough County alone, there are 63 Medicare Advantage plans. Now, I am not going to go through 63 plans for every person that I help. But we narrowed down the focus based on questions we ask you, like the doctors that you already see, the prescriptions you already get. Is it important for you to have a doctor nearby? what hospital you like best, and that helps narrow that focus. Mm -hmm. But it is true that the cost of a Medicare C or an Advantage plan is $174.70, which comes to roughly $1,800 a year, which is much less than the $400 a month you'd be paying with original Medicare. It does have other costs. It has co-pays, so you pay as you go, which for many families makes it easier to put into your budget because you don't have the high cost every single month. Just talk us through what you do at Shine. What's an average day for you like there? Well, during open enrollment, it's pretty darn busy. That's our Super Bowl only it's a six-week-long process. What we do, and I do think that it's super important that every single person on Medicare do a health care check once a year because your financial situation changes, your health changes, your meds or doctors change, and you annually look at your car insurance and you annually look at your homeowners, wouldn't your health be just as important? And so it's, it, that is a foreign 
concept to most people. They sign up and say, I'm good. I don't have to do anything else till I die. Mm -hmm. Wrong. And so what we do is the plan that you signed up for last year may not have the same benefits that you need today. So we do an evaluation of the plan that you're in, the things that you need now going forward, and determine options for you. A shine counselor will never give you only one recommendation because there is not one right plan for every single person. There are options. And mm -hmm. so normally, we do an evaluation of what you're looking for, if it's original Medicare or an Advantage plan, of two to three plans. We will answer questions and help you enroll, but the final decision-making is your mm -hmm. choice. Can you give me a sense of how many people in the Tampa Bay region shine helps and, and what those trends are in terms of numbers? Yes, actually, I do have some numbers with me. In 2022, we documented over 8,000 client contacts. More than 4,000 were low income, 900 had disabilities, more than 2,300 people were over age 75, 650 needed assistance in a language other than English. We helped over 700 low-income individuals apply for the Medicare Savings Program, which has a combined annual savings of more than $1.1 million. The Extra Help Program, which is a prescription savings, saved our clients about $5,000 annually just on prescription drugs. So talk us through some of those costs. I mean, you sort of mentioned this, but what kind of prices are people paying for premiums? The premium is 174 And if you get financial assistance, there's the Medicare Savings Program that could pay for your Part B premium that you wouldn't have to pay at all. That's three levels. That's all based on assets and income and one of those also covers co-pays and any co-insurance that you would not have to pay. If you go the other way with Original Medicare, there's really not assistance for supplements for the Medigaps, but you could still qualify possibly for help with drugs. You've got what appears to be a pretty encyclopedic knowledge of Medicare. How long did it take you to get up to speed on all this? Like when you started in your role volunteering, was this completely foreign to you? Like did you have some kind of concept of what you were getting into? Well, a little bit because in my past life, I worked in HR and I dealt with employee benefits and things like that. So I had a little bit of knowledge, not of Medicare, but just health insurance. It takes a long time to become fluent in this language. However, the first year takes the most amount of time because this is in people's lives that you're affecting. And the mistake can jeopardize someone's health and life in a very negative way. So it's important that new counselors are always held by the hand. We don't let anybody out on their own to do any of this work without lots and lots of training and mentorship. 
and research. And in the beginning, it takes a long time because you have to research almost everything. But as time goes on, and I've been doing this about six years now, a lot of stuff you remember and I still have to look up stuff because it changes all the time. Yeah. According to a recent Gallup poll, over one in three adults, 50 plus, have foregone basics like food to pay for health care. And some older Americans are skipping health care because of the cost. I'm wondering what you're hearing from the folks that you talk to. Are you getting stories like that? And what kind of advice can you offer them? Yes, we do. The most common questions have to do with the cost of prescriptions. And there are multiple prescriptions that are very expensive. And so we start to hear from those people late summer, early fall, because you go into what used to be called the donut hole, or now is called the coverage gap. It's much nicer sounding, but the end result is the same. After you have reached a certain level of cost for medications, you go into this hole where you pay a much higher rate, 25% of the cost of the prescription. And if it's a brand name drug like Eliquis or Trulicity or Xarelto or any of those, they're thousands of dollars. And so most people can't afford them. And so they will call in and say, all of a sudden, my prescriptions have shot up hundreds of dollars. I can't afford this. And it's interesting because many experienced Americans are not used to saying to their doctor, what else can I get instead of this. Mm. People don't question the doctor. And really, you have to be an advocate for your own health because the doctor doesn't know how much it costs. It only knows that the guy came in and told him how wonderful that drug is. So he has no idea that it's going to cost you $250 a month and you are not able to pay that. I guess it depends on your doctor, right? Some doctors are maybe taking a little more of an active role in advocating for their patients. Maybe, and that's true. Now, one of the things we do is try to see if they qualify for additional financial assistance. Mm -hmm. There are also the pharmaceutical companies have assistance programs, again, usually based on assets and income, but not always. There are foundations out there that will help pay for cancer drugs and other things. And so there are um, good RX, RX Assist, Needy Meds. Those are all places that offer coupons and discounted. Places like Sam's and Costco carry generic drugs for $4 for a 30-day supply, depending on the drug. Publix also carries some low-cost generic drugs, and it's like $750 for a 90-day prescription. So there are places out there, but not enough. It sounds to me like you're saying people shouldn't wait until now to be kind of shopping around. They should be doing that right from the get-go. Yes, I do. And I do think that their best investment is calling a Shine counselor. Shine, serving health insurance needs of elders, is what they call this assistance program in Florida. So you can find somebody like me in everywhere that you go. And it will make it easier for you to have any research done. And we ask you to do some of it. We do ask you to call your doctors and find out what plans they take. But 
it is important, and it's very hard for people to navigate on their own. It's just confusing. Just before we wrap up here, Fran, what are some key things that people need to keep in mind as they contemplate Medicare enrollment this year, and where can people go for help? The phone number is 1-800-963-5337, or the Florida Shine website, And on that website, we have virtual programs where you can learn about Medicare basics. The most important is to call and have a counselor be assigned to you, and we'll answer all of your questions. We've been speaking with Fran O'Byrne, volunteer for SHINE, which stands for Serving Health Insurance Needs of Elders. It's a program offered by the Florida Department of Elder Affairs and provides health insurance information for Medicare beneficiaries. Fran, thank you so much. Thank you. And also joining us, WUSF's Stephanie Colombini, who's been reporting on Medicaid beneficiaries being dropped from the healthcare program. Stephanie, thank you so much. Thank you. That's our show for this week. If you want to find out more about Shine, we'll have a link on our website, wusf.org. There you can also listen back to this interview or previous episodes or sign up to get the Florida Matters podcast. Engineering support for this episode from Jackson Harp and Blake Bass. Our producer is Steve Newborn. Production assistance from Mary Shedden. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.